was thinking a lot about what I wanted to preach uh, right off the bat. <laughs> and um, I think what I'm going to do for my first few sermons is kind of hit on some passages that just are very important to me and my ministry and um, to maybe be a way of reaching out and, and trying to, to, I wouldn't call it, I wouldn't call them vision sermons, but to, to introduce myself and what my sensitivities and hopes are as a minister. Um, and this is one of those, but it's also felt like a, an appropriate place to start just because of how I've been feeling um, over the last few weeks. So um, if you would stand for the reading of the word of the Lord, um, we're gonna read Genesis 12, verses 1 through 7. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan, when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. How the grass withers and the flower fades, but this, the word of the Lord, stands forever. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Um, I pray that it would speak to us today. That your spirit would do uh, what you have promised. And it would take these words and apply to our hearts. Amen. You may be seated. So I'm doing what I shouldn't do and I'm tossing out my illustration for something else on the spot. Um, I've been watching the documentary, Welcome to Wrexham. Um, I don't know if any of you have seen it or know about it. Uh, you have to either be really interested in pop culture or really interested in obscure English soccer. Um, but basically what happened is a couple, couple of years ago, um, a couple of actors, uh, Ryan Reynolds and Ron McElhenney, uh, they purchased this uh, fifth league, like barely professional soccer team in Wales. Um, and there's a whole story behind why they did it. And, but, but if you don't know anything about soccer in, in Europe, particularly in England and Wales, uh, these teams are like a huge part of the community. And Wrexham, this team, was this team that at one point in their history was a pretty successful team. Um, and the whole community rallied around them. But over the last couple of decades, things happened. Um, not just athletic things, but like bad ownership and uh, 
just some really horrible business dealings. And this team dropped. We can talk about relegation in English soccer sometime, but you can move between leagues. They dropped way down the English league system and, and kind of were, were languishing down there. Um, and these guys came along and they bought the team and they invested money into it with the goal of kind of revitalizing this team and revitalizing the community around it. And, you know, when this happens, you can imagine the excitement that's there in this town. I mean, so much excitement. <laughs> this promise of where we're going to be, what's going to happen now that the finances are in order and there's new energy here and we're buying players that can can perform and we're bringing in coaches that have a reputation of, of building teams up and oh, this is going to be so great for the team and for the town and it's a great feeling. If you watch, there are struggles or if you know anything about you know, fifth level English soccer, which I'm guessing most of us don't. Um, it wasn't as cut and dry as that. What I, wanted, what I wanted to talk to you about today, so for me, the last few weeks have kind of felt like uh, Ryan Reynolds came along and bought my, my soccer team. Like there's been this season of what is going on in my life and then something happens that promises tremendous blessing. And today, like I feel the hope of that tremendous blessing. Um, and I, I suspect that you guys kind of feel the same. It's really awkward to say that. Um, But there's a tension here, and I want to address it on day one because I think it's important that we do that. There's this tension when we are called to go. And we are promised that as we do this thing, it's not easy. It's not cheap. It takes work, but we're promised that as we do this thing, we're going to arrive at this place that is so much better. That's exciting, but we very rarely understand the implications that are actually there. Um, and I want to just spend some time with that. So this passage is packed, and I'm not really preaching it the way I would if we were preaching through Genesis. We might do that someday. I do love Genesis, but I could do like four sermons out of this. I am going to do two. <laughs> I was going to do one. I was like, oh my goodness, this isn't going to happen. Um, but Genesis 12 is, is huge because it's the shift in the narrative of, of Scripture. <clears throat> A big shift, actually. We talk about the narrative of Scripture in these four acts. Um, the, the acts are creation, rebellion, redemption, and restoration. And 
Chapters 1 and 2 in Genesis was that first act. It was creation. God makes the world. It's good. It's beautiful. And then, but it's a short act. (laughs) And we shift to Genesis 3, and really 3 through 11 is that second act. It deals with rebellion. We see the fall in the garden, and then we see this kind of downward spiral of the brokenness of creation and of humanity. God's there, and he's doing good things, but like each time you turn the page from 3 to 11, you're like, oh, no. (laughs) It's the kind of stuff that would make your news feed today. It's kind of depressing. But here in Genesis 12, God comes in and interacts with Abraham in a particular way, and that starts that third act. Redemption. Actually, we get hints of restoration here as well. But here God begins to put into action his plan for making right all the wrongs of the fall. The Jesus Storybook Bible, which my family really loves, calls it God's secret rescue plan. And here in chapter 10, God starts to roll this plan out. Abram comes on the scene. Actually, he's introduced back in 11. And honestly, we don't know a ton about this guy. But what we do know is really important. We know from 11, sorry, I didn't include it, Uh, that he lived in this place called Ur of the Chaldeans, which is a place that's very, very important biblically. This is Babylon. Babylon is this kingdom that throughout the ancient world and ancient history and definitely throughout scripture is powerful and wealthy and prosperous. Like, that's kind of the place to live. In the Old Testament, it kind of represents the fullness of humanity at their highest points in their own power and in their own brokenness. So Abram had a home, and by worldly standards, it was a good one. We also know that he was 75 years old, so he had spent a lifetime in this home. This was his community. These were his people. He was not a stranger. He was not a traveler or a refugee. He wasn't looking for a new nation. He was well established in what would become one of the greatest nations in history. We also know his family line. We tend to gloss over genealogies. My wife really likes genealogy, but... I think sometimes even she glosses over the biblical genealogies. They just kind of keep going. But it says something about Abram. It says a lot about Abram, but one thing that it says that we kind of can miss is that he had a name. He had a family line. We knew where they came from, and he was established. It talks here when God calls him to go, to go from his father's house And that's not because Abram was some deadbeat living in his dad's basement. It was 
There was something established there. He had all the blessings that would go with being established. He had a name that meant something in Ur. We don't know about Abram. Like, we don't know what kind of a guy he was. Did he honor God? Was he an idol worshiper? Was he happy? Was he discontent? Was he aware of his own brokenness, kind of going, man, something's wrong with me? Or was he just kind of living it up in Ur? We speculate. There's a couple of passages that talk about Abraham later on that kind of go both directions. Well, that isn't really important to this part of the story. What's important is Abram is this guy who is here, he's established, he has a, he has a land that he lives in, he has a people, a nation that he's a part of, he has a name and the blessings of that name. And God shows up, he speaks directly to Abram, he hasn't done this since Noah, by the way, He takes a hold of Abram's life and he tells him to get out. He tells him to go. He says that land that you know, that you thrive in, that good country, go. That people, that nation that you've been a part of for 75 years, go. That life that you have, that great name, the security and blessings behind it, leave them and go. That's a big ask. Now, to be fair, God doesn't just tell him to go and, you know, just go, do what I say. He he offers him something. God says, leave these things and I will give you something better. Go from your country and your kin, kin sorry, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Leave your land, I will take you to a land that is better. Leave your people, I will make from you a people that is better. Leave your name and your blessings, and I will give you a better name, and I will give you better blessings. There's another bit here, so that you will be a blessing. This is why I'm going to do this twice. We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. But in that moment, when God comes and says, all this great stuff you have, I want you to leave it for something else, Abram has his, like, one moment. His one moment. He trusts God and he goes. There's a side note here, a very important side note, but it's kind of over here. There's a whole sermon here about Abraham trusting God and going. About why God calls Abram and how faith is the only thing that Abram brings to the table and we can even get into how even that is a blessing. It's not what we're looking at today, but if you're here or you're listening and you're not sure about this God stuff, it's important that you see this. Abram wasn't anybody in particular. He didn't do anything special. It doesn't say he was moral and righteous and holy. 
All he did was hear God's call and follow. That's it. This is the gospel of grace that we believe. Whoever you are, wherever you, whatever you have done, whatever you need in your life, whatever you have to get figured out or whatever questions you might have, what God asks of you is faith. He says, your life isn't as good as you think it is. I can show you something better. And all you have to do is go. The rest is handled by the work of Jesus Christ. And if you're wrestling with that, we hope you hear that call and you join us on this journey. So there's my side note. It's really the most important side note that there is. But the rest of you, for the rest of us, I mean, I wrestle with it all the time, so. We're at least intellectually on board with this going idea, right? We've been trained. Abraham's faith was a great thing. All right, Abram, go. We, like Abram, have said, all right, let's go. We're ready for that promised blessing. We're ready. We're celebrating. Like someone just came in and bought our our soccer team. I felt like Abram recently packing everything up in a couple of U-Hauls and go. And being here (laughs) is great. And days like today, (laughs) for me at least, I'm tempted to, like, it's time to hit that end route button. I've arrived. Though for some of you, or maybe myself most days, I'm tempted to think, okay, God, where are the promises? Where is this place? Feels like there's been a lot of going and a decided lack of arriving. Whichever side of that you're on, that's what I want to talk about, are those feelings. What did it mean for Abram to go? It's not what we expect. And for us, it's also not often what we expect. And understanding this better today, I think, helps us as we continue this journey. Abram's call was complicated and messy. In terms of travel plans, he didn't know where he was going. We have the word Canaan in here. That's something Moses puts in there when he writes that explains to the audience where he's going. But God doesn't say, let's go to Canaan. Moses was going to Canaan. He didn't know he was going to Canaan. God says, go, and he just goes. <laughs> That's tricky. But if that wasn't risky enough, look what happens when he gets there. It's not what he expects, right? Moses arrives after a long journey. This language in verse 6 of passed through gets at the idea that this was not like, okay, let's walk down the street to this new place. Like, 
This was a journey. And God says, this is the place. I'm going to give it to your offspring. <laughs> like, what? Excuse me? I went to this land that you were going to show me, and you're going to give it to who? Not me? <laughs> this promised and better land, you don't get to possess it. You get to live here as a stranger. <laughs> I can't even imagine. Little, little side note, to totally blow it out of proportion, get the whole like whining about nothing thing. We rolled up on the 17th. Some of you were there. I met a realtor. Really excited. He hands up the keys and says, I got bad news. The papers didn't go through. We're not closing today. The seller says he's, they're fine with you moving in, but they won't be here until tomorrow. Totally not the same experience, but that moment of like, oh, I'm not really here yet. <laughs> oh. Abraham never got to see tomorrow. In fact, if you keep reading in verse 8, he keeps going. And in verse 10, he ends up in Egypt. And not only that, but when he gets there, it says the Canaanites were in the land. And we don't feel the full weight of this. The Canaanites were like... Man, if Babylon is like the, the greatest nation that humanity can put together... Canaan's like the worst nation that humanity can put together. These were the ancient bad guys. These are the ones that did things worse than anybody else. That like, even in places like Babylon, you looked at your kid and like, man, you're acting like a Canaanite today. <laughs> they, they were hostile. They were hateful. They did some really, really terrible things that I won't talk about unless I'm actually preaching those passages. <laughs> Sojourning, living as a stranger in the land of the Canaanites was not a nice prospect. Abram was promised that he would become a great nation. He sets off with his little band, his wife and his nephew. No kids yet at 75. That's a whole other thing. Some servants, some animals, not a nation. And when he gets there, there's another nation here, and they're the worst. It's not what he was expecting. And in terms of a name and blessing... I mean, we already mentioned that he's a stranger and a sojourner living in hostile territory. So much for a good name there. Blessings are hard to come by. Abraham is jumping around from country to country trying to basically stay alive and keep safe. He gets some good stuff, but he scrapes for it. The name that he was going to be given, the blessings that he was going to have, those didn't come until after he was gone as well. God tells Abraham to go, Abram at this point, to go from a prosperous land to a land that he'll never possess, from an established people and nation to build a nation among hostile enemies, 
from his security and his identity and his tangible blessings to this intangible blessing and name that's really going to be established posthumously for him. It sure didn't feel like the arrival he was expecting. Sure, he was blessed along the way. He sees the promised land. He gets to experience that place of promise. He is given family in a pretty miraculous way. And in that, I'm sure he begins to envision a nation. And he is blessed. He does make a name. God makes a name for him out there among these peoples. But it wasn't the promise that he heard when he left Ur. Surely not. Wrexham didn't get promoted their first year. I'm two, two episodes away from the end of what's out there for the second year. I kind of already know. They don't get promoted the second year either. There are points in there where the fans, the players, the coach, even these two stars who bought the team are like, <laughs> this is not what we signed up for. It's the same for us. Yes, on this side of Jesus Christ, who is the true fulfillment of these promises, we get to see these blessings in a much clearer way than Abram ever did. And there's a theological reality that we can talk about in the church and how that stands now as that place and that people and that blessing in a much more tangible way than Abraham ever had. But there's no denying that this world that we live in, we live as strangers in a broken land waiting to take possession of a creation that we've been promised. But we live as a people, as a nation in the church who lives among the nations of this world who are often hostile. And we experience blessings, but they are partial blessings. We still have need. We're still victims of injustice and sorrow and illness and death. We are saved. We are justified, but we still struggle with the flesh. We're waiting for those promised blessings in their fullness. And while today is a good day for me, one that I will remember, God has blessed me, and I am so thankful for the blessings of being called here. But I know that this isn't the blessing that I was promised. I know, maybe this is not great to say in the first sermon, but I know that that blessing will fade. I know there will be days where I don't feel at home, where I'm not as excited to get to work, where I'm at odds with, with you or feel inadequate, or frustrated in the ministry. Even here, that feels so wonderful today, I will say, is this the blessing that you promised me, God? You do do the same. So we live in this world that isn't yet the place that we're called to, and we live as a people who are not yet the people that we will one day be and we have blessings that are not yet complete and this can be incredibly discouraging. 
We can feel the frustration of that amid division and hostility and sickness and unconquered sin and doubt and violence and trauma and grief and all these things. What do we do? (laughs) What do we do when we promise this great thing and we live in the midst of this? Well, what did Abram do? So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Abram shows up. God says, here's the land. I'm going to give it to your offspring. By the way, your neighbors, they're not nice people. As far as blessings, get ready for a fight. And Abram builds an altar to the Lord. Abram worshiped God. Because Abram trusted in the promise. Just tasting the promise was enough for him. And he took the blessing of that taste and he understood it as a reflection of what God was doing and he worshiped. Because he had faith that something bigger was going on than just his journey from, from Babylon to the promised land. And something bigger is going on than our journeys as well. Listen, we can see in this call to Abraham something of our own life, and we should. But this story is way more than a story about us. Abram's story is actually a picture of Jesus Christ and his call to go. Jesus Christ is the true Abraham. In order to call Abraham, actually, in order to call us, Jesus goes. He goes from his home to a place promised to him, but a place he would have to die to possess. He goes from his kingdom to build a new kingdom among and actually for hostile people. He goes from his name and blessings into shame into insult and mockery in order to gain new blessings through the cross. Jesus willingly goes from glory into misery because the promised blessings were greater than the blessings that he had. They weren't greater for him, but they were greater for us. They were a land and a kingdom and a blessing that he could share with the people that he loved. And that's what this story is about. And when we know that story, we can look at those blessings in a different way. So spoiler, if you're watching it or you haven't watched it and you pay no attention to English soccer, because I do pay attention to English soccer. So I'm actually watching this afterwards because I know what happens because like, I know what happened with Wrexham and the, you know, the documentaries that put it out later. <laughs> like, they do get promoted. There's this great video of Rob and Ryan at the game, like in tears. <laughs> So it's kind of awkward 
I'm watching this show and I'm experiencing the like angst of it, but I also know what's coming. I know what's coming. I know what season two looks like. And that's us. That's how we interact with these like pseudo arrivals and, you know, half promises that we feel like we have, these blessings that fade and the difficulty in the midst of it. We know what's happening. We know that Jesus Christ came and lived and died and rose again to renew creation so that it would be ours perfectly for eternity. To build a perfect kingdom where there is no conflict or hostility or injustice. And to give perfect blessings and perfect identity and names to his people who experience no sin and no sickness and no want and no sorrow and no trauma and no grief. And in his life and death and resurrection, he has made these promises sure. And we live in tension now, but we know what season two has to hold. We already know the conclusion. And he gives us these tastes of them now. He gives us these days of arrival like this one. And we know that those things are not the thing, but they are a picture of the thing, and we can hold them and celebrate them, but also celebrate what they represent. Even our broken world is full of blessings. We live in one of the most beautiful places in the world. We live in this fertile valley. We can see and hear and taste the blessings of the land, even a broken land. We have the kingdom of Christ in the church. We can see the blessings of this community. We can feel it even as we struggle in that role and face hostility inside and outside. And we have been given blessings, blessings of provision and joy and comfort, the blessing of salvation, even as we struggle with the other side of those things. They are incomplete, but they are certain. Recent, in recent theological history, whatever that means, we've been summarizing this difficult theological, uh, eschatological tension as we call it, the already, but the not yet. I'm guessing we've all heard it by now, but if not, you're going to hear it a whole lot. To, to talk about this reality that the kingdom is here and we have these blessings, but, but it's also not yet here. And what's coming, oh boy. <laughs> what's coming? And this is where we live. We live like people watching this documentary, but know what actually happens we can feel the pain and we can feel the joy and we can feel so and we can worship like Abram because we know, because we have faith, because we believe that the victory is already won, the day is already coming and the blessings we have today, hallelujah, they pull open the veil and they give us a glimpse of the other side and the difficulties we have today, they're real <laughs> but one day, those things will pass away. This is what the gospel tells us. 
that in his love for us, Jesus Christ left his home, his kingdom, his blessings, and he suffered so that he could build a new home, a new kingdom, full of blessings for you and for me and for any who believe. If we keep our eyes on that, we can live in that kind of faith. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you that even though um, most days of my life, I'm asking where are the blessings, um, you have an answer to that in your son. And those days in my life that I um, get to experience the joy of the things that you're doing, they also can be even greater because I know that they are just a taste of what you have for me. I pray that you would grow me in that understanding, that you would grow this church in that understanding, that we might celebrate and worship you as we go towards your promises. Pray these things for your glory and your kingdom in the name of your Son. Amen.